Hello and welcome to this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. I'm John Henry Weston, your host, and I'm very pleased to bring you today Mother Miriam of the Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope. Uh, it is a great privilege for me to do this because not only is this episode just another episode of the John Henry Weston Show, it is an intro to a new show that LifeSite News will be bringing you daily with Mother Miriam. It will be called Mother Miriam Live. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Mother Miriam. Mother, welcome. John Henry, I am so delighted to be with you. I personally love you. I love LifeSite News. I love everything you do. I love the Catholic faith. I love its orthodoxy. I love the faith once delivered to the saints. And that's all you report. And I bless God for it. I am honored beyond words to be with you on LifeSite News. And yes, I began as a Brooklyn bum, growing up in a conservative Jewish home, which uh, I loved. I, I was had a very broad educational upbringing. We were taught there's two people in the world, Jews and non-Jews. That's the end of it. So uh, we never knew. We never heard a thing, nothing negative about anybody, but we knew that we were God's people. And we knew we were separate from the world. And we knew everything we did as children or didn't do would reflect on our people, on our faith, on the God we claim to love. So we really lived in a great sense, in the world and not of it, though I never heard those words before. Um, but at, at 10 years old, as we were celebrating the Passover every year and waiting for the Messiah, I knew that the Messiah was the only hope the world had and that he would come and he would bring us Jews back into Jerusalem where we belong from the four corners of the earth. He'd set up his kingdom. He would rule and reign. Life would make sense for the first time. There would be peace all of that. And I was, oh, let's see, 32 years old before I heard that there was such a thing as Jewish people on the earth. It doesn't matter to me what everybody believes. Let Anybody can do their thing. But Jewish people who believe that the Messiah had come and that his name was Jesus, a name we weren't allowed in our house. I never pronounced it in my life before. And that he came and uh, and I said, David, my brother, told me the article. He was two years older than me. He still is, in fact. And I said, how could anyone, I don't care who believes what in this world, how can Jews believe this? The Messiah, the only hope the world had, he came to earth already. Nobody knows he was here. I was 32 years old. I never heard such a thing in my life. And he left. He came and he left. And the world's not changed. And the kingdom's not set up. And we missed the whole thing. How on earth could anyone believe that? But and my brother said to me, Roz, I didn't say it was true, but there are Jews who believe this. And at the time, the article David read said they were all out in California, called themselves Jews for Jesus, Messianic Jews, uh, Hebrew Christians. And I said, you know what, to myself, there's all kinds of troubled people in the world, and Jews are just as entitled to be troubled as everybody else. I really think I used the word neurotic. I'm sorry. But let them believe what they want. That doesn't make it true. I went out to California and met some of these, what I thought were very troubled Jews, who led me over a year and a half to the Lamb of God, who did what no Old Testament lamb could do, and who died for our sins, and in fact, they went through the entire Old Testament sacrificial system from the fall in the garden 
right through to Christ, and I saw it. I, I don't know what I have time for in this program. Maybe another program I can do, tell you what changed my life. An unbelievable night, and but they convinced me. And so to me, they showed me how all the Old Testament lambs were dead, four-legged creatures. They were dead. They could do nothing. But they pointed to the one who would one day come and take upon himself not only the sin of a single person symbolically transferred to the lamb, but the sin of the entire world, past, present, and future, man, woman, and child. And for me that night, that utter life changing night when for two and a half hours I didn't speak a single word. I was with 12 Jews for Jesus. Go figure that. I, and when they said, John 1 29, behold the Lamb of God who takes away sin of the world, that one verse, John 1 29, went right through me. I didn't even know it was in scripture. And my life was completely shattered on the spot as if somebody pulled the stage of the curtain of a stage and I saw it. I, I just imagined it. It was true. And my hang up and utter fear as a Jew all my life was that a man can't be God. Forget it. I'm not standing before God and telling him I worship the man. A man can't be God. And I realized that night that I was right. A man cannot be God. But if God exists, God can become a man. He can do anything he wants to do. I'm not going to tell him how to be God. But I didn't give my life to Christ that night because um, I was afraid and baggage and all that. But it was a few weeks later when I was with these troubled Jews for Jesus again, and I heard them talking about his being alive. And I said to them at the end of the table, I butted into the conversation, excuse me over there, excuse me. And... Did, what did you just say? And they said, well, we said he's alive. I said, but you told me he died. And they said, but he came out of the grave. And I remember saying to them, why didn't anybody say so? Growing up in Brooklyn, Easter bunnies and bonnets and who know bunnies and eggs and the bunnies don't lay eggs. I never put that together. And he rose from the dead. I never heard it. Well, I gave my life to him. I was on I became an evangelical Protestant. I didn't know what I was. I was a Christian. I was a follower of the Messiah. I hadn't looked into the Catholic Church, nothing. But my first Bible study was taught by an ex-Catholic who was taught by an ex-priest. They taught me that the Catholic Church was a false religious system leading millions astray. I believed them. For the next 14 years, I tried to save every Catholic I could from what I sincerely believed was a false religious system. I believed that. And it was in the summer of 1990. I had been a women's Protestant jail chaplain for 10 years, transitioning to head of women's ministries of a church. And my brother, who had become Catholic, despite every effort of mine to save him from becoming one, um, we were talking. And um, there's, there's a bit of a story. I'll just tell you this. Uh, he gave me a magazine called This Rock, published by Catholic Answers. And it inside had the advertisement of uh, no there's too much of a story to tell you but um let me just say that david said to me Roz, rosalind moss my given name he said Roz, um it's a catholic apologetics magazine and i said apologetics catholics have a defense of their faith catholics know why they believe what they believed i never met a catholic who knew their faith my protestant church was half ex-catholics including the pastor who was an ex-catholic I never knew, but here was a magazine that taught why Catholics believe what they believe. And 
it impressed me because I said, they're wrong, they're Catholic, they're wrong. But they, they think they have the answer to salvation and they're publishing it. And I had my first respect for any Catholic who would publish what they believe will save souls. That's, I respected that. And I took the magazine home and I started to read it. And almost five years later, I became Catholic. Now, so, oh, that's a story too, of course. But I tell everybody now, the most Jewish a Jew could be is to be Catholic. And the most Christian a Christian could be is to be Catholic. And do we have another minute for an extension of how I became a nun? Absolutely, because you became a nun. Um, it, it's an amazing transformation because you weren't in your history. Uh, once you became Catholic, you weren't a nun right away. You were Rosalind Moss, Rosalind Moss on EWTN, uh, giving your testimony, your story. And so, how did you become a nun? Yes, and and nine years with Catholic Answers, including EWTN and a ton of other things. But when I was, uh, I don't think I was twenty yet, maybe nineteen. In New York, it was the miniskirt era. That makes me 150 now, but that was a minis it was the miniskirt era of the 60s, something like that. And all I knew was Jewish and non-Jewish. I didn't know. But the news came out that nuns had permission to shorten their habits. That was the news in the newspaper and on the radio. And that went through me as if you had stabbed me with an electric dagger. But you were still Jewish at the time. Yeah. Huh. Yes, I wasn't even a Christian yet. I didn't know who Christ was. I couldn't say his name. No, I, I didn't even pronounce God. We would say G-D, it's too holy. You don't say God. I never wrote God, G-D. No, nothing. And the news came out and that nuns had habit, uh, permission to shorten their habits knee length and an electric bolt went through my heart. And I thought to myself, whoever these women are in the world uh, with long black and white habits to the floor in Brooklyn, um, they're in the, the world to affect the world for God. This is a good thing. And I thought, alas, instead the world affected them. The, I didn't know Vatican II. I didn't know anything, but it was the miniskirt era. And I thought it was a religious accommodation to the miniskirt era. Mm -hmm. And the odd thing was it had nothing to do with me, and it was my deep and immediate loss. I wow. lost what wasn't mine on the spot. How could it be my loss? It had nothing to do with me. I didn't even know the word habit, and I never forgot it. That shock, which someone has called a holy shock, it was electric that went through me. Went through me 26 years later, when I was a fervent evangelical trying to save Catholics. The moment that I knew from God that if I did not look into the claims of the Catholic Church, I'd be turning from God. The same electric bolt happened twice in my life, when I was 19 and when I was something 40 in 26 years ago, right through me. And it paralyzed me for a moment, just as it did when I was 19, physically paralyzed, three seconds. And I knew I had to look into the Catholic Church or I'd be turning from God. And so, um, I was two years into my five-year journey, and I had dinner with my best friend, and I said to her, Beth, uh, evangelical, and I said, as four people in the world I told, I'm going to New York. I have to look into the Catholic Church. She said, Roz, you? They used to bring me Catholics to save. Roz. And I said, 
Beth, I'll be, I, I don't want to become Catholic. I'm never going to do this. Never. But I have to look into it. Maybe God wants me to really be an apologist against Catholics. I have to look into it. I couldn't tell anybody. And she looked at me. We were sitting at a Sizzler salad restaurant in California. And she said, Roz, if you become Catholic, you're not going to be a nun, are you? Now, I never thought of it. I never thought of it. Mm-hmm. But as soon as she said that, I said to her, oh, Beth, I never thought of that. But could you see me walking through this Sizzler restaurant in a black and white habit to the floor? I said, even if people think I'm a medieval wacko, they have to think of God. Whatever they think of God, mm-hmm. they have to think of God. This is a good thing. And from that moment, John Henry I had two and a half years further to go before I could imagine being Catholic. But that thought of being assigned to God in the world never left me. Mm. I longed for it. I don't want to be a nun. I'm not going to be Catholic. And then when I came Catholic, so many people said, Maybe you should be a nun. Maybe no, no, no. I'm not going to be a. I want to be assigned to God, but a nun. I'm not the type. I need to tell the world about Jesus. And if you're a nun, they put you away. And they said, but no, Roz, you could be active. I said, but they put you away from formation. I I can't do this. I have to tell the world of Jesus. So now, I live. When I met Cardinal Burke, I was still working with Catholic Answers. And we had met at a number of conferences. And I had prayed for him every day for nine years before he ever met me. Because when I know there's a good holy bishop, whether he wants it or not, he gets prayed for every day. Because we know they need it. And I prayed for him every day for nine years before we ever met. And then I met him. And it's a beautiful story how. And we had been at conferences. And I, I, um, I told him of my desire for this. It had nothing to do with him, or he was Archbishop of St. Louis, nothing to do with St. Louis, nothing at the time, but he invited me to come see him. I wanted to start in Brooklyn. I wanted to go back as a greater Jew than I left in a habit. And um, he prayed for that, and, and Brooklyn wouldn't take me for umpteen reasons that you'll understand. And um, I was going to ask Cardinal Burke if he would accept me, but he beat me to it and invited me before I ever had the chance of asking him one of the greatest happinesses of my life. And I said to him, I said, your eminence, it's either a calling, now I'm still in plain clothes, either a calling or I really have a psychological problem. And I mean it, it's not a joke. I really don't know. I said, my thing is, I live 24-7 to tell the world of Christ and his church. Now I'm Catholic. 24-7. There's nothing in the way but sin. Oy, oy, oy. But there's nothing in the way. I'm on my own. I don't owe money. I don't have to watch 24-7. And I said, I live to put my arms around the whole world. Uh, so wherever I am, I want to be someplace else. I'm in the jail with the inmates. What are, they're going to die if I'm not in Los Angeles. I'm in Los Angeles. What's going to happen in England? What? I said, I think it's a problem. He said, I think it's a calling. <laughs> so that was my journey. He invited me in 2008. This began, the Daughters of Mary, Mother Israel's Hope. Of course, that name is a story too, under Cardinal Burke in St. Louis. Uh, I'm a happy, 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 happy camper. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I remember you saying it 
uh, one of the first times I met you, or I saw you at least speaking at a at a Legatus conference, uh, you said something beautiful about walking down the street and having the experience of, I believe it was a Jewish man, remark, uh, give you a remark. What was that, if you recall? The one oh, who stopped yeah. you on the street to say, where have you been? Yes, but, you know, on that one, it was not a Jewish man. Ah. It was. That one wasn't. I've met with Jewish people. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Stories after stories. But so it, it, I've met all kinds of people. And he, this elderly man, and I guess he was Catholic, and he looked on me and he looked at me and he put his hands on his hips angry. He said, where have you been? You know, and, and another man said the same thing. And he said when he was in New York growing up, uh, he would see the nuns all over the place and he doesn't see them anymore. And he said, where have you been? And we talked for a while and I, I didn't want to say to him, we're brand new, but I just, you know, um, and I said to him, are you still Catholic? And he said, no, I'm Methodist. I wasn't Catholic then either, but I miss the nuns. And his eyes, me memory lane, he said, big time, his eyes filled with tears. Another woman tapped me at the supermarket and she said, excuse me, uh, are you a nun? I said, yes. Yeah. She said, you're a nun? I said, yes. Yeah. She said, I thought they were extinct. I, it just, oh, oh, so much. I, you know, in airports, I, well, I did 50 conferences a year for Catholic Answers, going through 200 planes a year, every weekend on a plane somewhere. And I, I used to think to myself, what a waste. But if I were in a habit, I'd be assigned to God. Now I walk through airports. And in this habit, oh, I love it. And story after story, and one of my favorite ones, I was in the ladies' restroom, and there was a large woman, uh, probably in her 30s, with short shorts and a tank top and pouring water, hot, really hot. And I'm standing there in this. And she looks at me and she said, ma'am, ain't you hot in that thing? And I said to her, but it's for Jesus. And she said, oh, I can't say that for Jesus. <laughs> I, I, I can write a book. I, I can write a book. We had a guest house donated to us around the corner from an atheist hmm. on our block. Wow. It's just so fantastic. I can talk to you for 10 hours, John Henry. <laughs> Better not just give me freedom. I'll talk to you. No, it is so beautiful. And that's, that's really, that's the spirit. When uh, we heard you and this opportunity came along. You are running a, a daily show already on stations across Catholic radio. And I had thought to bring you to video so that more people could access your beautiful faith. And it is, it's a faith that's really beautiful. It's also contagious. It's, it's that calling that you had to spread the love of Jesus everywhere by your presence, by your word, you want to talk about Jesus all the time and tell people you are doing that. You're doing that all not only by your words, but as you mentioned so often, just by being and walking the streets and walking airports. Fabulous. Um, an absolutely amazing thing. And and God did have that intended for you from the beginning. So those it's still good to be true. I'm still pinching myself. People say to me, Well, how do you know you're called? And I say, I have no idea. I don't know that God called me. I can't, I, I won't turn from what he's done. But 
not that I felt a call, just an electric knife through me, but mm -hmm. not that I felt a call, but I say to them, I know what God has done and I know what consumes me and I know I won't turn from it and whatever God wants to do with it is his business. Amen. So one of the things that um, we are dealing with in the church right now, and it's so funny that you mentioned Mother Angelica, because of course, Mother Angelica was probably an inspiration for a lot of Catholic um, <laughs> Catholic activists, Catholic, some people might call them Catholic warriors, or, or, or those who are willing to stand up to the culture. Not only to the culture, it's also to the... Um, to the, the powers that be in the church that decide to do something different than what Christ wants, which is painfully evident sometimes, especially today. We, we see, uh, even the world sees with the sexual abuse crisis in the clergy. Yes, that's uh, plainly obvious. But we see the same kind of betrayals on issues like life and, and family and the whole um, trying to move with the world in terms of liturgy and all sorts of things in the church that we've seen. And very interestingly, um, Mother Angelica, who for many, many years already was in, on the airwaves, talking to people on television, but she had a real transformation in 1993. It was 1993's World Youth Day that uh, I was actually there. I was in Denver uh, with the youth and uh, enjoying Pope John Paul II. And the day came for the uh, Stations of the Cross, which is held in a in a stadium and there we were and i was up in the bleachers you know in the nosebleed seats and with binoculars noticing that there was a woman playing jesus and i thought oh, that's very odd little did i know at home or not at home in the studios of of uh, ewtn where they were playing this mother angelica saw it and she told them pull the feed and her producers and stuff said well we can't do that it's, it's the pope and she said pull the feed and so they pulled the feed and put it on to mother and that's where Mother's famous rant came. The famous rant where she talks about how she's sick of the liberal church. And there was a transformation moment for Mother there because it was at that point that she decided to put away the short habit which she had and don the traditional habit. And EWTN had from that moment a real... Uh, uh, um, revolution but it was also it was a revolution a revolution probably reformation is a better way of saying it uh to the world because it was a heroic stance back to the tradition of the church the tradition of christ to cling to him in a way that was a new way it was a singular way of adherence to him in a more in a fashion that would go against the world, that would really embrace him without being concerned about the world, even when that mean, meant getting in trouble with the powers that be, not only in the world, but also in the church. And uh, we've seen that a lot in, in you, Mother, in that your own willingness to confront the issues and, and speak plainly to the faithful who suffer under these various things, just the, the plain old simple truth and it's it's for that reason too that we want to amplify your voice to make you heard so that the faithful especially the simple faithful who struggle with so many things in life can just hear the faith 
as it truly is without the window dressing of political correctness or all these other niceties that really distort the message. Yeah, and coming from Brooklyn and being Jewish helps a little bit. You know, I <laughs> speak directly. When I first met Mother Angelica, uh, she said to me, um, I'm Jewish, she said. I said, Mother, you're Jewish. I thought you were Italian. She said, no, I'm Jewish. I receive Jewish blood every day. Mm. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. But she, nothing fearless. And um, I think I live with one fear, and it's ever to dishonor God. Mm. It's the only fear that I live with, to ever dishonor him. The truth is so magnificent is so glorious and when people say how do you evangelize this one even the jews that one i have one answer live as if it's true that's the end of it live as if it's true that's the whole thing uh, uh, peter kreef a uh, wonderful convert said how come 12 fishermen converted the world and half a billion christians can't repeat the feat we have to live as if it's true the world will be changed Amen. absolutely we have to know our faith you can't live what we don't know we have to know our faith Absolutely. So in these times in the church, probably the most confusing time in the church in all of the church's history, um, you must get a lot of questions about, well, particularly about the Pope, because the Pope today is different than any other Pope that we've ever had, um, in that even with John Paul II and, and, and uh, Pope Paul VI, probably the, the, the closest, if you will, but it's there is something strange going on. And you get that from sort of these various statements about, you know, we don't, we shouldn't talk about abortion or same-sex marriage or contraception all the time, those kinds of things. Sentiments that are very, very different from what we got from John Paul II of beloved memory for almost all of the people alive today would remember John Paul II as the Pope of their, of their time of life because he was around so long. Um, so what do you respond to people with those concerns about Pope Francis and, and where the church is going right now? Oh, John Henry, of course, it's never easy because the situation is so deeply grievous and tragic for, to me and to so many. Uh, it's difficult to give answers, to know what's happening, to, you can't, to know motives or to know the utter source of such what seems to me not just confusion, but deliberate confusion, I, I can't say. What is, e what is easy is to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. That is easy. So if anyone, including the Pope, and this would be my answer, whether it's the Pope, a Cardinal, a Bishop, a layperson says, uh, don't talk about contraception, I'm gonna say we must because Catholics are contracepting the same as the world. Don't talk about abortion too much. Well. Catholics are having abortion as much as, divorce as much as the world, because we're not talking about it. And because bishops for how long haven't, for the most part, been teaching the faith. So it, we haven't been talking about it, and that doesn't work. So to say don't talk about it now is to really say, let the church completely fall apart and completely be in the world and of it. We must talk, our mandate is from Christ, our mandate is the truth, the scriptures, what the church has taught, truth does not change. It's application through different ages, we can understand new applications, but no application could go against 
the meaning of that truth, the theology. Mm -hmm. So for instance, one of the hardest things we deal with today is the question about homosexuality because you have the likes of Father James Martin, uh, you know, invited to be uh, one of the consultors at the Vatican and uh, in a very high position with regard to the Jesuit magazine and so on. But yet he talks about, a, a, he might call it a new application of the new knowledge or something about homosexuality, but he's talking about an approach that's very different than the traditional approach, than the approach that that uh, we would all take with regard to homosexuality. He talks about welcoming it and about how it's a gift from God and how, you know, people have to be welcomed. What's the true church teaching on these issues and how you're such a loving person. How do you present it as loving, even though the world looks at it as, as you're a hater? Yes, and uh, the most loving, you know, faithful to the wounds of the friend, the most loving thing anyone could do is tell the truth. What you've just said about Father James Martin, and I've heard it, um, that the source of all that, I'm just going to say it, John Henry, is demonic. It's absolutely demonic. Something's of God or it's not. Something's of God if it's not. And if it's not going to lead people toward the truth of the gospel and Christ, then it's demonic, no matter how nice it sounds, no matter how subtle. The truth is, the scripture saith, homosexuals, murderers, gossipers, slanderers, all in the same line, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. God put together whole civilization in the Old Testament, sodomites, homosexuals. Um, there's no different in the New Testament. Homosexual um, tendencies are disorders, are interior disorder of a person. Now, if I have a disorder, psychological, mental, physical, whatever it is, I want to get help to work it out. But if I live it out and it's sinful, then I have, I don't care if I call myself Catholic, if one is living in an active homosexual relationship, they have excommunicated themselves from the church. If they call themselves Catholic, it is a grave, grave sin. And if we welcome people and celebrate their lifestyle and let them celebrate it, we are damning them. We call ourselves children of God and we are sending them to hell by our response. Someone's drowning and we say to them, and there's, they may not be screaming because maybe they're unconscious, they don't know they're drowning. I don't know what an illustration to draw. And, and we say, no, come on, don't, don't force them out of the water. Don't, and that's a crazy illustration. You, you knock them out to bring them to shore to save them. Mm -hmm. And any priest, any bishop who is welcoming homosexuals, parades, all of that, and giving communion to homosexuals when the, and ex, I've seen it on film two men coming up with a baby they've adopted and receiving communion it is 100% demonic and what I can't understand is how any bishop can do that mm -hmm. I cannot understand how a bishop can do that I don't know if he ever had the faith I don't know if he's lost the faith I don't know if he is so coward into sending souls to hell. I, I don't know what it is, but 
the teaching of the church will never welcome a homosexual, welcome them to salvation, mm -hmm. but not to live out their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I, I think you'd be uh, the first to acknowledge that we're all sort of have temptation to sin. And in those temptations, we're disordered. But to 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 fight them uh, is the way forward and to assist them to in the fight if you will is right. is the loving approach even though oh. we'll still hate you for it that's right you see a murderer and you help him to continue to be a murderer there's no way there's no way you have to help him out of it and if you say no this is my lifestyle well you may not be able to persuade him but he he won't be in heaven mm -hmm. he won't be in heaven go ahead one of the things that we're also struggling with, it, it, it revolves a, a lot around the need, the, the purity of the faith and, and, and so on. So one of the things that has come up recently uh, has been the issue of communion for non-Catholics, for Protestants. And you yourself were, were a Protestant. Um, and yet, uh, you know, the, the Pope even has, has opened up this question himself. Why do Catholics not allow for communion for Protestants, and can that ever change? No, it can never change. And why Catholics do not allow communion for Protestants is because they love Protestants, mm. because they want them to have the fullness of faith in the Catholic Church. When you give to communion to someone, you are saying you are in communion with us. And if they're not in communion with us, we are helping them commit a lie. And that's number one. But the greater issue is the desecration of the sacrament to give to a non-Catholic who doesn't know. Who Even my, uh, my, my own sister, John Henry, was a Lutheran and um, believed it was the body and blood of Christ, subjective, in her church. And I said, but it's not because we believe it, it is because it's objective. And it, it was hard to convince her. Blessed be God, she came into the Catholic Church. Mm. But it's not what you believe, it's what the church teaches. Mm. And um, so when the Holy Father is speaking about giving communion to the spouses, the Protestant spouses of Catholics, Sacrilege is a minor word for that. Mm. It's absolutely forbidden. Mm. And Paul wrote to the Corinthians, chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, if you eat and drink the Lord's body and blood unworthily, and if you're not Catholic, you are unworthy, you are not in communion, uh, you bring condemnation to yourself. Mm -hmm. So it's one thing if a Protestant fights and says, I don't care what Catholics say, I'm going to receive. It's another thing for us, the church, to be putting them in that position. As you said earlier, John Henry, it's one thing to be fought from the world. That's nothing, you expect that. But for at the moment, the greatest, excuse me, I, evil, the greatest persecution is from within the church to its own people. That is, Again, what Paul VI said, the smoke of Satan has entered the church. There's no other explanation for it. Amen. And with that, my dear friends, I think we've had a good taste of what to expect from the Mother Miriam live show, which will be airing daily very soon on LifeSite News. Mother, 
Miriam, thank you so very much for being with us here on the John Henry Weston Show. And I'm looking forward to your daily show on LifeSite News coming up very soon. Thanks, John Henry. Great honor for me. And God bless you all. From LifeSite News, this is John Henry Weston.